Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, the Miami Heat do it again. Down 17 in the second quarter, down 15 in the third quarter. They come storming back and take the lead. Credit to the Celtics for getting off the deck and reestablishing the lead in the fourth quarter. And it didn't matter because Miami ended the game on a 17-7 run. (laughs) So... They do it. They're up 2-0. The Celtics are yelling at each other in the locker room. The media's all tweeting it out. They can hear it outside the locker room. It's a zoo. So Miami's up 2-0. Now we've seen teams not only come back from double digits. I've read a thing. There have been like uh, 51 double-digit leads in this series, and 20 of them have been lost. So, like, you can be down double digits and still win 40% of the time. Now, I have to say in normal times when there's a home team and a road team and airplane travel, we still see double-digit leads go away, especially second and third quarter double-digit leads. But it's happening way too often here. I mean, it's something about the bubble. I talked to Pace Mannion, and one thing he said was um, the shooting without the fans behind the hoop is really helping good shooters. It's just making guys who are already good shooters and good scores. It's just making them off the charts. And so it stands to reason if it's easier for a guy to get hot and get on a roll when there's more three-pointers than ever, then a 12 or 15 or 17-point lead is going to be less safe. Because really, four, five, six, maybe seven possessions, it, it can go pretty quick. You know, you have a 12-point lead and three stop three, and your lead's cut in half. <laughs> so, so that's definitely a factor, and he was just really emphatic about it. And he's probably about the 100th person we'd say that, so we should probably take that pretty seriously. All right, that's two games to none. The West starts tonight, game one. Game one with the Lakers and the Nuggets, and the Lakers now prohibitive favorites to, uh, to advance. Heavy, heavy favorites. Uh, over the Nuggets. So, we'll see how that plays out. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Coming up next, enough of the pro basketball. We're going to talk some college basketball. We'll talk some some jazz and NBA later, uh, Craig Bolderjack later in the hour. But Mark Pope meeting with the media, the BYU basketball coach, and uh, they got some guidance from the NCA. now. How is this going to play out? We will get to that next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Mark Pope, BYU basketball coach, doing the Zoom press conference, meeting with the media. Schedule, the uh, not clear. He'll get into that. Uh, Thanksgiving weekend is going to be the start of the basketball season. It's going to coincide with a lot of schools finishing finals and sending kids home for a month. Less travel. Normally, they go home for Thanksgiving, come back for a couple weeks, take finals, and then go home again. This will be less travel. And if the cold and flu season goes berserk, kids will be off campus for... Probably six to seven weeks, somewhere in there. And so that's when college basketball get going. Here's Mark Pope. All right, coaches, let's start off with uh, your reaction to the November 25th announcement. Uh, You've probably been waiting on pins and needles when you can get going. It must be nice to know you have a start date. You know what's going to happen. Yeah, I I think we're, we're really happy to have a start date. I think probably more importantly for us, 
right now is that we have um, some guidance in terms of practices for the next six and eight weeks, right? So we know that we get to go to 12 hours total and eight hours on the court starting next uh, on the 21st. And then on the 14th, we get to start with 20 hour rule practices. So that actually was, 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 you know, in terms of pressing concerns, um, that was really important to us. And, uh, you know, the, the idea that we're, we're trying for this November 25th, where we're only going to lose 15 days of the season, I think is, is really encouraging for all of us. We're, we're grateful and excited about that for sure. Let's go with uh, Jeff Call. Coach, I just wonder about the schedule. Um, how do you deal with it right now? I mean, obviously, you guys are starting later than originally planned. Uh, you have that Bahamas trip scheduled. What uh, What is the process right now for filling your schedule? So it's a, it's it's actually really interesting right now. It's super fun, right? Because it's just madness and chaos. So uh, staff was in here late last night, kind of just reaching out to everybody we can think of, and we're trying to answer all kind of questions. Um, most pressing right now is the loss of the MTE or or the re uh, scheduling of the MTE. Um, I think there's. I can't remember guys. There's somewhere maybe between eight and 12 MTEs that are affected by the change in date. That's a lot of teams. So the first thing we did uh, last night was we ran through all of the MTEs uh, that, that had date dates affected. And we um, circled every high major that was in those events. And, and uh, we're trying to call them all individually, see if we can get those games. I don't know if that's going to work. Um, but it's a little bit of a free for all right now and just trying to figure it out. So it's fun. Okay. Go ahead, Mitch. And then Norma. To just kind of follow up on that uh, coach. So is the junk a new jam not going to be the, the MTE for you guys this year? We don't know yet. So um, it's complicated because you have so many parties in each of these MTEs. So, you know, right now there's, you know, a lot of these MTEs are trying to schedule just to start on the 25th and kind of run through those first three days. The, the, the problem is, for example, the Junk New Jam is, you know, a number of teams and all of us have scheduled out um, during the time that they're trying to reschedule the event to. You know, we're also not sure exactly what's going to happen with with conferences. Uh, you know, the Pac-12 is supposed to announce tomorrow what their um, attitude is towards this. We don't know what's going to happen in the coming weeks um, in terms of, you know, what conferences are going to say they're going to, you know, expect their uh, members to do. So, um we, I don't think the Junkanoo is is done. It's it's good if it if it's if it's held, it's going to be here in the continental United States. And, and, uh, it might have a different, um, you know, it might have different teams playing in it. So, you know, there's a, there's a, a, you know, every part is moving right now. There's not a lot of them. Every single part is moving. So, um, it makes it fun. So we'll see. I don't know. I mean, I'm gonna say, I don't know a lot. You guys are gonna get bored and make, I don't know. Then you, then you all are going to write to your college. You'll be like, can we hire a coach that knows something? Cause this guy doesn't know anything. I can already see the headline. Norma Gonzalez is going to be like, Coach Pope knows nothing. Big headline across the front page. Yep. That's exactly what I'm going to do. <laughs> um, but sticking on the topic of schedules and, and conferences, um, what has the conversations been like with Utah and trying to still keep that game, I assume? 
yeah, I think we both really want the game. Um, uh, you know, I, I, so, so, you know, there's been a lot of whisperings that, um, that the Pac-12, you know, might move off of the January 1st date. I, I know you guys are hearing them just as much as I am. And so we'll see. Uh, obviously, we're talking to, um, you know, there's there's a lot of coach-coach uh, uh, conversations that are going on. Um, uh, we've talked to several teams from the Pac-12 because uh, we had a bunch of teams on the schedule. And so, um, w- you know, we'll kind of wait and see what the announcement is. But I do know that all the games that we have slated so far, uh, teams are really eager to find a way to keep them or to reschedule them or to find a way to make it happen. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of do that as we move forward. Let's go Hunter than Darnell. Yeah, coach, I wanted to kind of shift the focus over to your team a little bit here with this in particular, the best locker room in America talk that we've seen uh, on t-shirts and stuff like that as you guys have been doing workouts, what kind of goes into that? And then uh, with these, all these players that have left the program, like Yoli, Jake, TJ, all those guys, and all the new faces coming in this year with all that roster turnover, how do you get your new guys to kind of buy into that best locker room in America mentality? Well, um, I I hope it's something that becomes a core of who we are. Uh, it's, it's very aspirational, obviously. Um, and it's, it's really fun because, uh, I don't know that there's any, you know, with all these genius analytics guys, there's been nobody to formulate an algorithm to judge the best locker room in America, which means I can just claim it whenever I want. Um, uh, but but it, it really is a key to who we are and what we should do. And here at BYU, uh, the way we recruit, um, it should be something that we can compete for every year. Um, it should be a staple of what makes us really good. Every program's going to have things that make them really good, and this is something that should make us really good every single year. Um, and so developing that is, is uh, way more artistic than it is scientific, right? Um, so, uh, actually, um, the impact of COVID has been really challenging for us because one of the recipes of, of kind of developing a really cohesive and solid locker room is guys spending a lot of time together, not just on the court, but off the court. And, and, and clearly, uh, you know, the, you know, kind of self-contained isolation that's required to do everything you can to kind of um, deal with this pandemic safely is at odds with, uh, um, you know, regular uh, intimately scheduled um, uh, team activities and, and growing things like that. So we, we've tried to take a bunch of different routes uh, to kind of circumvent that and, and uh, I think we've made progress. You know, probably the most important thing that we've done this offseason has just been really, really selective with our recruiting, not just in terms of talent, but also in terms of guys that understand the, the, um, the culture that they're trying to enter into in terms of how we're trying to build this basketball program and what we want it to mean and that are accepting and all and, and excited about it, that they're actually looking for that answer. You know, we, uh, we, we signed a, a handful of transfers this spring and all of them <clears throat> were excited about the possibility of coming to play for a team where guys were really fighting for each other 
and were willing to fight their own personal agendas to kind of sacrifice for the team. We had a bunch of guys that were like, Hey, I want to go be a part of that. And so that's probably the most important thing we did this off season. And then we're trying to piece it together the best we can other than that. But you're right. That's a, that's a massively important principle for us. And we believe that that wins. Like we're putting money down saying, Hey, this wins. If you can actually develop a locker room like this, it actually is. It really translates to winning. Let's go Darnell, Sean, and Cameron for the next three. Yeah, Mark, uh, it seems like you guys have been able to have a fairly regular practice situation as opposed to maybe some other teams uh, in getting together in the summer and having your hours. How much of an advantage do you think that might be as you lead up to the regular season on the 25th? Well, I have some friends in California uh, that are coaching teams where they actually haven't been all together on the court one time yet, right? Uh, they haven't been in an inside gym one time yet. Um, and so I think it, hopefully it'll work out to it as an advantage for us. I, I feel super antsy because we just, you know, we haven't been able to, to um, we haven't been able to put together the organized time that we're accustomed to. I mean, uh, you know, you, you guys are sick of hearing us talk about getting better every day, but that that's, that's a core principle of, of who we are also. And, and that just comes through kind of a, a relentless every day in the gym, in the weight room, really, really focused, constructive approach to it, where you're just at the end of the day, you're spending more hours than the people you're competing against. And that's actually been complicated for us. Um, but I do think it's an advantage. Uh, you know, this annex has been really, really good for us. It gives us a chance to kind of be in here and be quarantined and be safe, uh, when we're working out and our guys have tried to be careful, although, you know, it's, it's really complicated. I mean, this pandemic is really complicated sometimes it gets you despite your most honest and diligent efforts. And so, um, but I do think it's been an advantage for us to 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 be able to kind of press forward through some things, um, and and at the same time, I'm I'm a little jittery because we we haven't been able to do everything that we normally would have done by this point in the off season. Yeah, coach, you you brought up the schedule and and how so much is still up in the air and whatnot, but with all of the the changes and kind of just the movement because of the pandemic and all that stuff. You you've talked in the past how much you love these in-state games and kind of these regional rivalries and that kind of thing. Are those types of games even maybe even more of a premium this year just because of travel and limiting it and and maybe you know being able to make those bus trips instead of getting on a flight and that kind of thing? Are those is it possible that those are even more important maybe? Well, I do think there's a there's a real draw, right? I mean, it, you know, it it goes without saying that it there's some kind of feel of safety of not having to get on a plane. Right. Um, and, and so that's a big deal. Uh, yeah, clearly I, we love these in-state rivalry games. They're so emotional and so devastating when you win. And so uh, when you lose and so satisfying when you win, um, I think right now, uh, if, if you were going to ask me uh, scheduling philosophy right now, I think we feel some pressure, um, uh, you know, um, because of what we're going through, uh, you know, D Danny Gavitt essentially came out and said, Hey, NCAA selection is probably, it's going to be less fair than it ever is. I mean, just not, not on purpose, but just as a manifestation of the fact that we're not going to have as much cross competition, even if the season goes off without a glitch, uh, we're still missing, you know, four games. 
uh, of potential, um, you know, competition against uh, people from different areas of the country. So I think the biggest pressure we're feeling right now is we just want to play the hardest schedule we can possibly play. We want to play the best teams we can possibly play. If that means we're flying to Florida and New York in a, in a safe manner uh, to play games, we'll do it. If, if it means we can do it by driving down the freeway, we'll do it. We just, we just know, you know, we believe that we have a good team. We have a lot of things we have to figure out. Uh, I, I think most people say we have a great team if we just had a better coach. So we, we, we got it, but, but we, we have, we have a ton of things we need to figure out, but I don't want this season to go by without us of having every possible opportunity to play the best competition in the country so that we can prove who we are. And, um, so that is, that is what's weighing heavily on me right now is how can we manage, especially when you, you know, you've seen in football that kind of people have gone towards the safety of just trying to stay in conference. Cause they feel like somehow that's a safer deal or, or at least a more controllable atmosphere. And so we're, we're really, really hungry to find ways to play the toughest schedule we can. And that's, that's what we're thinking about. All right, let's go. Greg, Mitch, Dana, Jake. And those will probably be our last four, unless someone has a burning question at the end. Hey coach, uh, of, of the things you're doing as a team right now, uh, which feel the most normal and which feel the most abnormal? Yeah, it's, uh, it's just so, it just is. So listen, uh, you know, I don't know how much this has been chronicled. I know it's something that we all think about, but we were not made to live in isolation. We just weren't. And especially these young, you know, these young men that I have on my team, like they, they, they've spent their lives functioning on a team and in that environment. And so um, it's, um, you know, while there's so many things to be cautious about and careful about, one of the things that really is weighed heavily on us is just our guys um, not having this, this um, connection with each other and not, not having this outlet where they can go be with their guys. It's actually a, 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 it really important for our guys, emotional and physical and mental health, they, they were connected together. So Greg, when you say that, there's just something so um, beautiful about being on the court, fighting and sweating and, and working together. It just is, it, it is a, it is a safe place and it's a peaceful place. And sometimes my guys will say it's a miserable and taxing place also, but it just is, it's just where we feel right. And so that's the best. I mean, it's just been the best. And then we've been able to find some, some, uh, some, some times where we've been really, really careful uh, really, really trying to follow CDC guidelines, but we've also been able to spend some time uh, very carefully orchestrated off the court where we've had moments where you just see a, a connection grow just in a, you know, if it's a, if it's a, if it's a gathering, a carefully orchestrated, uh, like I said, CDC approved gathering um, uh, where we're kind of following all the guidelines, but in a two hour period, you have a three minute moment where you just see, oh man, my guys, like they have something in their pocket now. Uh, those moments are really great too. Thanks. Go ahead, Mitch. Yeah, coach. Uh, I'm curious, you know, you, you mentioned quite a bit, the, you know, getting better every day. I'm curious for you and the staff uh, during this pandemic, what opportunities did, did you and the, and your assistant coaches maybe have in the off season for self-evaluation and trying to improve as, as your guys' group? 
Yeah, we, we've been stealing. Like we're stealing from everybody across the country. Uh, you know, it's we have a unique uh, opportunity also as a staff with a really interesting roster. It's a roster that that our young staff has never had before in terms of some of the things we have, we, you know, we have, uh, we have really, really extraordinary length, um, in our front line and in our backcourt, we, we have some athleticism and quickness, even though we are diminutively sized in the backcourt, uh, some explosiveness that we haven't had also. And so, and we also have a depth, uh, right now, um, we have depth. It's, it's, uh, it's really exciting. And so with those three factors, um, we've been kind of scouring the country, both in conversations, uh, both in the NBA and, and in college, trying to see as much as we can steal and then trying to f- distill that out to like, you can't try everything. So to, um, to, to some new things that we can try and implement and grow as well as kind of, we've spent a, a inordinate amount of time doing an autopsy of last season about where we were successful and where we were, you know, where we didn't get exactly done what we wanted to do. Some of the things uh, about way, uh, ways teams attacked us offensively and defensively where we felt like we didn't have the best possible answers. We've done really, really hard deep dives trying to find better answers potentially that fit this new roster. So, um, you know, the offseason is, is, is really fun because you, you grow. Um, you know, you find ways to grow. We, as a staff, we had a weekly book club, um, which because, uh, because I'm the head coach, I dominated the presentations on those, uh, just cause I was really fascinated in learning and growing, uh, read a bunch of, um, of, uh, kind of, uh, you know, inspirational, uh, uh, you know, coaching pedagogy type books, uh, where we actually, after reading the books, uh, got the, the author, uh, on the phone and, and had conversations with them that were insightful and helpful and challenging. Um, and so we got to get better. Clearly we have to get better. And, and we feel real urgency to do that because we have to be good enough for this roster. And so, so that's been a, a real focus for us all summer long. Thanks, Mark. Coach, um, there's no atmosphere like the uh, Marriott Center. What, what, what's your confidence level that uh, at least some fans will be able to to watch games in person this year? And if not, and if it's even if it's limited, what effect do you think that'll have on your team that feeds off that energy so much? Well, um, we you know we're clearly really hopeful. Um, I think all of us, uh, you know, the one thing we have, and and we're going to turn it into a real positive is we all like in the, the, the back of our minds, we have this, this feeling of the, the kind of sudden sting of this game being taken away from us uh, this spring. And so that's, that's always kind of somewhere in the back of our minds, even though we're trying to like stay face forward, but it's given us a humility about this game where you understand that there's nothing that's guaranteed. So you just got to take advantage of today, like in an epic form and fashion. And so we're really hopeful about having fans in the stands. We're hopeful that, you know, we're hopeful for, um, that, that we can make breakthroughs, uh, in, 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 you know, like everybody in the world that we can make breakthroughs in, in preventing and treating and, and, and understanding, uh, this COVID-19. Um, and maybe those things can happen fast where we could actually resume some type of normalcy and maybe they don't like, maybe things get worse and, and we have to adjust. I think right now we're, we're prepared for that, but th- there's no doubt that this Marriott center is, is an extraordinary place. And, uh, what, what, what the, 
players on our team accomplished last year um, to get to get that gym to the fevered pitch that it was at the end of the season. Um, it, it was really special. And I don't think you can walk into a lot of gyms that ever have felt like that gym did the last few weeks of the season. And, and um, it is a magical place. So if we have no fans in there, I think we have an advantage also because um, I have a, a, you know, that's one of the strengths of our locker room is, is, my guys can feed off of each other. Um, they give energy to each other. Uh, they hold each other accountable. We're trying to grow in all those areas every day. And if we do that well, then we're going to be able to also produce, um, you know, maybe have an advantage about producing energy during games with no fans. Um, I do, I do know that uh, BYU fans are uh, probably on a level of, um, unhealthy psychosis uh, matched by very few programs. So I'll be shocked if we have a game in the Marriott Center and I don't have people that have snuck in and hit in the Ross in the in the rafters or uh, you know the catwalk or uh, you know some somehow um, made their way in. So we'll see we'll see how that goes. But uh, we just we're so grateful that people are working so hard to give these young men the potential opportunity to play. That's the most important part. Mark, you've mentioned this about some of the newcomers. You guys miss these long answers, don't you? You're like, holy smokes, man. Would this guy <laughs> please stop talking? Hey, okay, we, go ahead, we love it. It's all, it's all about content. We'll take it. But I, I wanted to ask you, in terms of the newcomers yet on this roster, what's your kind of your early read on how they're fitting in with some of the, guys, some of the holdovers from last year's roster? Um, they're fitting in good because they're such a huge part of the deal. I mean, you know, we have this incoming group is so important. Um and, you know, they and, you know, the one thing that I think is can, you know, hopefully will continue to be effective about our, our recruiting is that our guy, like Matt Harms knew exactly what he was getting into when he came and he hadn't been here yet and felt it, but, but he knew, he knew the expectations. He knew what the, you know, he kind of knew the culture we were trying to grow and that we were really serious about it. And so he has fit in beautifully. I mean, that's part of the reason why he chose to come in here is because he fits and, and uh, he's taken on a real leadership role and he's a, he's an extraordinarily talented player and his skill set is actually a little bit different than I thought it was even coming in. It's been, it's been really exciting to watch him. Uh, um, Gideon George is uh, from the day he got here till today. I don't know if I've seen a player grow more than him. Um, you know, he's, he's so exciting. Uh, you know, he's, he's a guy that in one possession will come up with three deflections. You know, he stat every deflection, every single practice. And most of the guys try and get three deflections in a practice. He's getting three deflections in one possession. And uh, he's just such a monster on the offensive glass. He's, he's, I mean, he's, he's getting an offensive rebound from 30 feet away. It's, it's, you know, I exaggerate all the time, but that's not that much of an exaggeration. Uh, he's been really, really fun for us to watch um, and, and is doing a, a, a really special job for us. Um, uh, you know, uh, Caleb Lohner is, is, is just been a, a, just such a beautiful, brings a beautiful spirit to our practices in the sense of he just wants to get better. And he seems, uh, he seems um, completely unfazed by all the yelling and screaming that I do at him. He just wants more. And, um, and he's, he's clearly got a really, really high ceiling. And uh, Spencer Johnson is, is proven to be even more skilled uh, and cover ground faster than, than I thought he would. I could keep going down the list. You guys get bored, but um, you know, we, we have guys that are growing. We got a ton of growing to do to be able to be a competitive team, but 
but um, we're pretty excited about these guys and they seem to be fitting in incredibly well. And a lot of that's due to the leadership of the guys coming back uh, specifically Rich Harward and Alex, Har- uh, Alex Barcelo and Connor Harding have been great leaders in, in integrating those guys. There's BYU basketball coach Mark Pope from the college game back to the pros with Craig Bowlerjack next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Craig Bowlerjack joined us yesterday, TV voice of the Jazz, to talk NBA playoffs and talk about the Jazz. And it was yesterday, so he didn't know that Boston was going to blow a 17-point lead and go down 2-0 in the series. Uh, <laughs> but aside from that, we spent a lot of time talking about the Jazz, the Lakers, the Nuggets, the West, and what the Jazz are going to do in the offseason. Here's Craig Bowlerjack with PK and I. Bowler, good morning. David James, Patrick Kinahan. How are you? Good. So I'm curious, Bowler, now that you've seen the Nuggets wipe out another 3-1 to playoff deficit and advance again, are you a, oh, a little more at peace with what happened to the Jazz? Like, well, the Nuggets are really good, and the deeper they go, the better the Jazz are, which means the closer they are to doing something awesome next year. Or B, oh, man, that could have been the Jazz. Total blown opportunity. Gah! Yeah, Which one of those yeah. is more more on point for you? Well, you know, I mean, it's it's. Um, I don't know what the Clippers are thinking, but I'm sure Sports Talk Radio blew up because that team was, uh, you know, supposedly built to win it all. Um, but even though Paul George denied that, I thought that was an interesting post game comment. Getting getting back to the Jazz, I mean, it's 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 an opportunity blown. There, there's no question about it. Bogdanovich would have made a difference. I I, I am a believer in that, but. Um, it's a lesson. It's a lesson learned, uh, not once but twice in the West. Uh, Denver just seems to be a team that doesn't panic, and they seem to play better from behind. I know that's crazy, but uh, they lull you to sleep, and then they hit you hard second half, and that's what they did to the Clippers. I, I, I don't know what you guys thought, but I, I saw some disinterest. I saw some disconnect. Paul George you know, walked off without even congratulating the Nuggets. Kawhi stayed. I'm not sure if that that chemistry is um, all it's meant to be. I mean, that's the danger of putting together super teams, right? You know, you bring in uh, another all star, but really, do they do they fit? Uh, do they have the same uh, goal in mind? I'm not sure. I saw that with the Clippers. Uh, but hey, give it give credit to Denver. This team is together. They they're on track. Uh, they score. They make tough shots, and, you know, you get a big fellow like uh, Jokovic who can go triple-double in the first half, you know, a lot of good things are going to happen. That guy's very versatile, and uh, maybe he's put, uh, you know, some of their some of his uh, criticisms uh, to rest as well. The guy can play, and he's a great pick-and-roll, um, you know, offensive threat. I mean, the guy, he picks you apart. It's, it's pretty impressive. It really is. So it's a, it's a real interesting dynamic there because Paul George was talking about, hey, you know, we, we're put together here. You had the two top parts 
come in and uh, the first time playing together. And so he was saying, well, let's see about next year. And some may view that as a cop-out to a degree. But when you look at the Jazz, and they had a lot of new parts this year. You know, Mitchell and Gobert and, and Joe were retained and all that. But then you add in Bogdanovich and Conley. And, you know, Conley's, uh, uh, what am I looking for? A de- uh integration i guess was not the smoothest thing and then he you know gets injured and he comes back plays well and then there's the break and then they've got to start over in a sense because they don't have bogdanovich who was such a critical part so they never really got if you look at the season in its entirety a consistent flow of their guys hitting well then you look at denver and their guys, yeah, they're basically the same team. And Porter is new, but the nucleus of the team is the same. And so you wonder, you know, how much did that play in? Just that Jamal Murray and Jokic and, and their guys have been playing together. Not a long time, but longer than the Jazz and the Clippers have been playing together. And you wonder how much of a difference did that make in the series, particularly with the Jazz, which was literally a bucket that was darn near in being the difference between winning and losing the series. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Uh, you know, it's uh, it was a, it could have maybe been a a four zero, um, you know, but it didn't happen that way. And then they, they they learned, I guess. PK, I know people get tired of hearing that. It's a process. We hear that all the time from coaches. Uh, you know, obviously, here we go with discussing next season and whenever that occurs. Do they, what do they learn and how much more um, <clears throat> do they get tougher? Uh, and then integrating Bogdanovich back in, right? Um, you make a great point about Conley, uh, about the integration of him coming here. I thought, again, I've said it before, and I say it again, I thought he'd make a quicker transition, but he didn't. He had 12 years with Memphis, Quinn Snyder's offense. I think it's much more complicated, more ball handlers. And so uh, the injury then comes, and then he plays well up to uh, the after the All Star break, up to COVID, the, the stoppage of COVID 19, and then, you know, leaves to, for the birth of his son. And then you, you, here we go. We're, you know, it's a staccato season, right? Stop, go, stop, go, stop, go. And then there's moments you saw him play very well. Um, it's it's going to be an interesting offseason. And, uh, you know, I'm sure it's going to be interesting for Denver, too, because they've gained a lot of confidence. And I'm just saying, Jokovic has impressed me. I wasn't real sure about you know his skill set. He lost the weight. He came in. He's more focused and seems to be in total jive with uh, what Jamal Murray's doing. The guy can hit some shots. The guy's a flat-out shooter, uh, you know, drops 40 in Game 7, tells me he's on, you know, on track for, you know, standing on the big stage. Do they win a championship? You know, I'm still not convinced they get past the Lakers in the West, but the way this bubble works, I don't know what's going to happen. The Heat come back and take one against Boston. So it's, um, if you like, I guess the word would be 2PK. If you, if you want surprises and you want to see parity in the NBA, Maybe the bubbles allowed that to happen, right? Because it, there's no home court advantage. So I'm not sure if this all happens. If this, these games were played in at Staples Center versus you know Denver, 
back and forth, back and forth. But I think we're seeing a lot of things that we didn't expect. And for me, it's it's fun to watch uh, to see who actually is going to survive this this three month uh, challenge in the bubble. Well, you make it sound like you don't completely buy the Nuggets going forward, even if there's a bubble impact and bubble effect in this. Uh, as good as the Nuggets look, just the eyeball test when your your two top players are twenty three and twenty five. I just I just figure we're we're going to be seeing the Nuggets in the playoffs for the next five years unless something unforeseen happens. Why wouldn't these guys have a pretty good run here? I know I know the further you get out and they need a team around them. I know the further you get out, the harder it gets to predict and crazy stuff happens. But man, when you guys are twenty three and twenty five. And you're looking like this, even if they have gotten a little fortunate to win because of the bubble, like they're they're set up to be in the mix. Oh, I wouldn't disagree uh, at all. I guess the only factor I have is the the LeBron factor. Been there, done that, and how bad does he want it? And you know, again, finding out the chemistry with Anthony Davis. Uh, I've never been that sold on the bench of the Lakers, the depth because the starters. There's a lot of obviously pressure for them to score, much like the Clippers. Uh, but uh, Caruso has played better than expected in the bubble, and Kuzma has been pretty solid too off the bench. So, you know, they may have the combination to, to do it. But Denver, to your point, is on an incredible roll of confidence. And right now, they're, they they may not care who they play. And I don't think they fear losing a game or two in this whole process. Obviously, uh, they've done it twice now, coming back from 3-1, which is unheard of. I mean, you know, I, I tell you, when Michael Porter Jr. complained about Mike Malone, I thought that would tear that team apart, right? Um, didn't Malone, you know, Malone seemed to hold together and um, – the rest of the team just seemed to put that aside. And, you know, controversy sometimes would, you know, kind of pop the bubble, so to speak. But instead, it, it maybe it motivated them. And I guess Michael Porter Jr. saw what his role would be, what he played 15 minutes in game game seven. So I'm impressed. I mean, you have to say for Mike Malone to be able to keep that team together and focus says a lot about his abilities for sure. As far as the Jazz perspective go, you know, it's never a, it never ends. You're, you're constantly building. I've been saying that for a long time. The jobs of those management folks never end. You know, Dennis, Dennis, Dennis Lindsay and Justin Zanuck were on a conference call. What was it, last week, I think it was. Yes. And uh, the, the insight that I took was Dennis on Gobert. We talked about it at length. We didn't get a chance to talk to you about it last week, so bring it up now, where he spoke about Gobert, and he felt like there was a change. And he, was, he said, that that, what was it, three things? DJ uh, that he didn't uh, walking up his... walking up on the refs. Yeah. They did not yeah. like that. It is clear. Now he complimented Gobert on how he handled himself in the bubble and made it clear that before that they really didn't like he was doing it and they didn't like it and they must have talked to him about it. And then uh, going back to the huddle uh, instead of always having a tip for his teammate and always telling him what he should be doing, he's just going back to the huddle. And, and leaving all that alone and not wearing out the other guys. And he complimented on that. What he basically said, you guys talk about what you see, which is normal, right? That's natural. But there were things we were looking for that we didn't see that we liked that we didn't see them. You know, they, there was stuff they wanted to right. go away. And I think unsaid under this is the fact that, hey, we've already given this guy a lot of money and he's doing stuff we don't like. If we give him a lot more money, 
what else are we going to get that we don't like, right? Is he going to be coachable when he has long-term security and big-time off-the-charts money? Is he going to be coachable? And the answer they seem to be giving us is, yeah, we think he is. And so, it, to me, that meant that the odds of him re-signing on a Supermax or something close to a Supermax, if he agreed to take less, the odds seemed to be going up or they wouldn't be complimenting in public like that. Right, right. No, that's a great point. You know, that conversation was intriguing. And, um, you know, when you point out some flaws, but yet you say that he's improved, I think they're spot on about the complaining to the officials. It's pretty much ongoing at times. It improves some, yes, but it also keeps the uh, one of the top defenders, if not the best defender in the league, getting back to play what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to defend, right? And a lot of times those conversations and the complaints about the no call on the offensive end can wear you out. So, you know, the Supermax uh, commitment, guys, is, is – is, is huge. I mean, beyond that, because it's a it's a franchise changer with Mike Conley at 32 million and Donovan going to get his max deal. The Jazz have got to be sure that Rudy Gobert is all in and is coachable because we've seen it with other players around the league. Security, you know, sometimes makes you deaf, right? Because look, uh, I'm a I'm a two time defender. I'm, I'm another. NBA, you know, third team selection. Um, you know, what else do you want to? You know, uh, what am I? What else am I going to learn? You know, I still look at the the, common, the comparisons between Jokic and and Rudy, and I think it's it's pretty obvious that the offensive side, or let's just say the versatility on the offensive side, is is much uh, leaning to the Jokic side, right? I think you'll agree. Three point shot, mid range shot the ability to float one home where Rudy is most dominant at the rim and the pass has to be perfect. Turnovers occur when Rudy doesn't make the catch or the ball isn't perfect. So, you know, again, the max deal only goes to just a few players, the super max, pardon me, in this league. And I think the Jazz have really got to just be careful to make sure the investment is going to be worth, uh, you know, a five-year commitment. Um, It's going to be intriguing to see where they go. And if the Millers... Uh, agree and actually want to stretch potentially past the cap into the luxury level um, and keep this team together as it is. And if they can, add another defender or another guy with an edge right off the bench uh, who still has that ability also to score and be productive. Uh, That's a tough, tough call, man, handing out that kind of dough because – yeah, <laughs> just you, you, not just that. You know, you're giving him the money, and you're going. The the thing, the reality is, you're going to spend the money, whether it's divvied up one way or however many ways you divvy it up. But when you give, so the money's going to be spent either way, right? That's that's the point there. But when you give that money to one guy, uh, boy, you just really better hope because then. You just hit your wagon to him, and then it becomes very, very difficult to trade. If, oh, you, you really can't cut loose from that. You, you're stuck. It's like a marriage, man. And I know, like, for my wife, you know, once she said I do, I don't think she had any idea all the crap she was going to have to deal with. <laughs> oh, 
that's probably true, man, for all of us, right? Yeah, like, really? I was going to say, nobody nobody does. <laughs> this is the deal? Are you kidding me? Uh, but no, PK, your, your comment, man, about the marriage is spot on. I mean, you know, there was always talk when Carol Inko got the big, the big, yeah. big money after Carl and John. <clears throat> you know, it, it, it can freeze a franchise in the sense of movement. And so you make a great point. Even though you spend the money, do you get three for one? I mean, that's where you – and do those three players give you more depth and also versatility? And also the other – really the conversation we've discussed, but again, no one really knows except the two players is can Donovan and Rudy over the next five years achieve um, – the ultimate goal of a title or make incredible runs at it like Carl and John did. Uh, but also, you know, Sloan and I think Coach Snyder has made hints, look, you don't have to be the best of friends and is, you know, the kumbaya line that's always used about, you know, you know, just sitting there smoking the peace pipe. But but can you can you be the dominant players you need to be on the floor without having issues, if you do have issues off the floor, can you still uh, produce at that type of expense? And that's another thing they have to understand. I mean, I'm sure they're going to talk to Donovan about the whole process, right, about chemistry. I mean, that's part of you know how, how superstars become superstars when management understands their needs too and what makes them happy. So who do you pick? and discussing those issues. I mean, Donovan obviously is one of the young talents in this league, as is Gobert, but you said hitch the wagon. You know, I mean, do you hitch it against behind Donovan or do you hitch it behind Rudy? And do both those players understand who the Jazz are leaning on the most? I mean, that's, to me, an interesting conversation uh, because I think Kawhi and L.A. and Paul George, uh, though brought in to make instant impact, and then Paul, Paul George says, nah, you know what, not really this year. Really? I mean, I would think a guy who just won an NBA championship in Kawhi and Paul George, who's on the search, they thought they had the chemistry or the, the talent to do so. Um, in my opinion, I thought it was a an odd and surprising statement by Paul George personally, but Maybe they're right. Maybe they didn't expect to even get this far. I don't know. I, I did. I think everyone else did in the league as well. All eyes were on L.A., right? Both the Cav- uh, the Cavs, the, the Clippers, and and the Lakers. But, uh, man, it's it's a tough thing to do to be in this business, even more so nowadays with uh, the money that's available and the star power that can impact a team and direct a team. And, you know, the Jazz, I think, have done a good job holding their own franchise together. And Quinn Snyder, Jerry Sloan, they were in charge of how those players reacted and responded to many things. And, you know, Quinn, man, he's in his sixth year. Uh, you know, he's waded uh, through a lot of storms. And I witnessed it, you know, in Oklahoma City on March 11th. Uh, he took over and, and took command of what this team had to do. And I applaud him. And I, I see him still very much... Uh, a, a big part of moving forward with uh, Gobert and, and Donovan. Well, Bowler, we could keep this conversation going, but we got to go to break. But we appreciate the time and uh, food food for thought for everyone as the Jazz uh, decide what their next move is. Uh, like, it's it's huge. It's a, you know we say don't we? It's every summer. It's always 
well, now it's fall. <laughs> yeah. But every every year is going to be a big off season, and it it really is for every team in this league. That 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 statement never wears itself out because you're close, you see progress, but what's the next step or the piece that you need? We won't know what Bogdanovich would have done for the Jazz in the bubble, right? But you can always think about it. Uh, but boy, I'd like to see a team stay healthy throughout, and that's really a key for a title run. Can you stay healthy through eighty two plus? So. We'll see when we start to play again. At least we know when draft night is. And now we wait to see when free agency, and we wait to see uh, when the Jazz and the NBA get back at it in 21. So um, I can't wait. A lot of things are going to happen between now and then. Good to hear you guys. Thanks so much, man. There's Craig Bojack. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.